Well, I want to continue the series that we've been in called Generous. This is week three. And uh, we've been talking about generosity and, and, and more so from the perspective of why should we be generous? How can we be generous? Talking about how God has made us willing and able to do it. And what does that look like in our life? And really, we have to discover, like we talked about last week, the why. You have to answer the why question for you. Not the what, but why. Why am I generous or why am I not generous? And if I'm not generous, how can I be and what can I do? And I want to talk about today, and the title of the message is The Marks of a Generous Life. Talk about what your life will look like and how you can kind of see in yourself when you're really becoming generous. going to share three marks of a, a generous life with you and then some benefits of living a generous life. So if you would, go with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to read verses 30 through 37. This is a story that Jesus shared about a, a man who was robbed and beaten and left for dead. And then a Samaritan man came along and cared for him and just really stopped and showed him some compassion. So here we go. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for the opportunity to be here this morning. Just ask you to help us to continue to connect with the heart and the spirit of generosity that you've placed in us. And not just to connect with it, but help us to take that step of faith and begin to live a generous life so that we can see all that that has in store for us. Help me to communicate this message clearly, effectively, and efficiently. And everybody said, when you think of a generous life or a person who has lived or exemplified that life, who comes to mind for you? Who's the person that automatically, when you hear the word generous or generous life, you think of that person? Like they, they are selfless and they just do for other people and their life just exemplifies generosity to its core. I think we all have at least somebody that when we think of that, that it falls into that category. For me, it's my great-grandmother. She's in her, in her uh, early to mid-90s. She was born during the Depression. She was a Rosie Riveter during World War II. Uh, she jumped out of a uh, burning building in San Francisco with my grandma in her arms and only broke her leg. I mean, she, I asked her what she did during the war. During World War II, she said, Josh, I, danced all, I worked all day and I danced all night. And uh, she, she's, just, she's an amazing woman, but she, she, at her core, is a giver. 
A big part of her life has been working to serve other people. She took care of her mother when she was dying, took care of her father when he was dying, took care of my grandmother when she was sick. She lived with my parents up until recently. And she, at 90 years old, was doing their laundry, going up and down the stairs, not because they told her to, just because that's who she is. That's what she knows to do. I mean, she, for me, is the most selfless person I've ever met. She just gives and gives and gives and gives And I think that when she gets something, her first thought is not, how can I use this? It's, who could I give this to? Who do I know that could benefit from this more than I do? I mean, she's just generous, and she lives life with an open hand. Her hands are always open that whatever she gives, gets, she can give. I think that from this passage of Scripture that Jesus is trying to paint a picture for us of what a generous life looks like. What, uh, what the marks of a generous life really look like. And he uses an unlikely character in this story. He uses a Samaritan man to exemplify for us this picture. And what you have to understand, Jesus is telling a story about a Jewish man who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the path that he's walking is a path that is known for crime. It's known for people getting getting their money stolen from them, getting getting beat up on. And so this Jewish man walking this path, and he gets beaten and left for dead. And then there's a a Pharisee, right, an expert in the law, a pastor, so to speak, sees the guy and says, "Ah, I don't think so. I don't want to get beat up. I'm going my own way. And then a Levite, another religious person, sees him and says, I don't think so. I'm going to go my own way. And Jesus gets to the point of the story, and he says, a Samaritan man, which isn't a... An unimportant detail. It is communicating something very profound. Because you have to understand that Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They despised each other. The Jews actually looked at the Samaritans as less than. They were an inferior race. They had an inferior religion. They were worse than what they would call the Gentiles. They they did not like each other at all. To say that there was racial tension uh, is an understatement. In fact... They say that if a Jewish person was traveling and the quickest route took them through Samaria, they would go around. They would extend their journey simply to not have to go through Samaria. So Jesus says this Samaritan man stops to help a Jewish man. Mark of a generous life, the first one is this, is a love that looks beyond itself. Is that when you live a generous life, there is a, a love that is, it, it, I believe God puts in us and in, enables us and it looks beyond our situation. Bible tells us that this Samaritan man, when he saw the Jewish man, that he had pity on him. And the word pity, it's not like, you know, Mr. T used to say, I pity the fool. It's not that kind of pity. It really means Compassion. And compassion, this word used in the Bible, specifically used with Jesus a lot, is it really means to be moved, to be moved deeply. The word literally means to be moved as to one's bowels, to be moved that intense, that deep within a person. And anytime you see the word compassion used with Jesus, it almost always accompanies an action. So the man just doesn't feel sorry for him, he feels compassion for him. And he stops and he begins to help him. This love and compassion that he felt caused him to look beyond the societal and cultural factors and the tension and the, the, the hate and the fact that they despised each other. And on normal, any given day, the two probably would have not even looked at each other. The Jewish man would have given him the time 
of day. They would have gone as far out of their way to avoid each other. But on this day, the Samaritan looks past all of that. When you live a generous life, you will live with this compassion and this love that will force you to look beyond yourself. Force is really a strong word. It'll compel you because you still have to make a decision. I don't think God forces us to do anything. You'll find within yourself this desire to help people that don't deserve it, this desire to help people that you've never met, this desire to hop on a plane and go to Guatemala or India and pay a bunch of money to get there to help people that may never ever uh, impact your life in the same way that you're impacting them. You just find that you want to. And you look beyond your situation and you look beyond yourself. I'm a big believer that you can't get close to God and not love people. And you can't get close to Him or become more like Him and not be generous and not be a giver. The closer you get to Him, the more you love what He loves. And you know what God loves? People. He loves people. God doesn't see race. God doesn't see color. God doesn't care about politics. God doesn't care about all the things that we care about. He just loves people. Colossians would tell us this. Paul writing there, he would say, Therefore, in chapter 3, verse 12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion. How do you clothe yourself with compassion? Number one, if you're in a relationship with Jesus and you've accepted his sacrifice, God has clothed you with compassion. But you put that coat of compassion on every time you choose to be generous. Every time you choose to pay attention and act upon that that compelling love that's on the inside of you that says, I should help that person even though I don't think they deserve it. I should help them even though they're different than me. I should help them even though there's probably nothing they can do for me. I should help them. Life becomes much more meaningful and fulfilling when you are not at the center of it. Life becomes so much better when it's not all about you. How many of you know somebody who life is all about them? All they talk about is them, all they care about is them, all they complain about is them, or all they complain about is everything that impacts them and how it impacts them and how they don't like it. After a while, it's just like, get away from me. You know what I mean? It's like you are the center of your universe, even though you don't realize it. God wants, here's the thing, God doesn't want us to be at the center of our universe. He wants himself to be at the center of our universe. And when he's the center, we love what he loves. We do what he does. We become like him. And the first mark of that generous life is is that we have a love that looks beyond itself and looks beyond any limiting factor, looks beyond any excuse that we could make, and it sees what's right in front of us, what the need may be, what the person may be, and we can say, I see your actions, I see what you're doing, but God, you've helped me see beyond that, and you're acting like that because you're hurting, you're acting like that because you're, being, you're, you're defending yourself because of what's happened in the past, and you just see people how God sees people, and it fundamentally changes who you are. And when that happens... You get to move to the next mark of a generous life, which is willing, you become willing to invest time in other people. Now, I'm a believer, and my opinion is, is that time is the most precious commodity that we have, even more so than our money. Because you don't get any more of it. You can't make time. You can't earn time. You can't buy someone else's time. You get 
a specific allotted amount of time. There are only 24 hours in a day, right? Seven days in a week, 365 days in a year. God has appointed a time for us to live, and we, and we only have so much. And because of that, I think that we can be more stingy with our time than we are with anything else, even in our money. See, you have this Samaritan man who the Bible tells us that he's traveling. Not just meandering, not just taking a stroll, but he's traveling somewhere. He's got a destination in mind, and he's a guy, right? So he wants to get there. I don't know about you, I like to get where I'm going. He wants to get there. We don't know if he has business to do. We don't know if he's got somebody he has to see. We don't know if he's got a family member that's sick. We we don't know. We can only postulate. But he wants to get where he's going. But he sees this man, this Jewish man, this man that on any other day that he would hate and despise. And he not only sees the need, but he stops. He presses the pause button on his life and his intentions and his motivations and his sense of accomplishment to see the need and to help the need. And he invests his time into this person. The Bible tells us he takes his oil and his wine and he cleans the wounds and he soothes the wounds and he, and he stops what he's doing to recognize the value of what's right in front of him. I think because time is so precious and we have a tendency to become so stingy, we start to only focus on what it is we want to accomplish, what it is we need to do. And believe me, I, I, I'm there. I, I get it. I struggle with it. Our goals and accomplishments become greater than anybody else's. Our purposes take priority. But how many of you could testify to this, that you are who you are today, or you are where you are today because somebody invested in you? Because somebody saw the value in you that you thought you had but couldn't quite articulate. They saw it, and they invested in it, and you are who you are today because of that person or that group of people. I believe the greatest gift you can give people is not your money, but it's your time. Money, yeah, it's great. We need it. It makes the world go around. Can't do anything without money, hardly. But time. If you have kids, you know that you just can't throw money at your children. Right? You know that your kids, especially when they're younger, they want your time. Yesterday, I was picking up Carson. He had stayed the night with Lauren's mom, and I was taking him to my mom's house because they were going to go see a movie, and I had to be somewhere, and I was telling him, he said, Daddy, where are we going? And I said, you're going to go see the movie. He goes, what am I going to do after the movie? I said, well, you're going to go back to your nanny's house and, and then play, and I'm going to come pick you up. And he started crying. He said, Daddy, where do you have to go? I said, I have to go to a meeting. He said, I don't want you to go to a meeting. I said, why not? He goes, I want you to watch me play. What was he saying? Daddy, I want your time. And I was like, oh, you know, it'll be, it'll, and then it'll be good. But inside I'm like, oh my God, I'm a horrible person. <laughs> but I, I want your time. When, you, when you're willing to invest time in other people, that's when you'll see great results. Especially your children, right? I mean, a big part of, a big reason of, of raising children is so that you hope at 18 or 21 or maybe in today's age, like by 30, you know, you can pow, kick them out the door, but... You hope that what you're doing is, is you're going to release your children into the world so that they can be productive citizens in society. They can be accomplished. They can be smart. They can be kind and considerate and respectful. They can be the people that God has created them to be and has used you to mold and shape them. And that takes time. 
How many other people in your life have you, have you identified that there's a gift or there's value and you see that also, man, there's some junk to work through, but you realize that from this person to get here to here, it's going to take time. When you take inventory of that time, you're like, I want to help you, but I don't know if I have the time to help you. That's a decision that we have to all make, but think about where we would be or who we would be. Without those people that came alongside us, that saw something in us. Think about those of, your, of yourselves who didn't grow up with good parents and somebody else became a surrogate parent or somebody else became that person you look up to and, and told you and spoke over your life things that you always believed and wanted to hear from your parents but you never got. But somebody filled that void. But somebody said, I'm not your parent, but I, I'm going to invest in you. Because when you invest in people, you leave a legacy in them. I've got many people in my life other than my parents who did a wonderful job, but there's a man whose name is, is Lynn Stroop. He pastors down in St. Clair, and we met at um, Joyce Meyer Ministries, and uh, I began to talk with him and form a relationship with him, and he began to invest in me. He began to listen to me, and he would buy me books and put them on my desk, and then I got to work on the road with him, and we spent a lot of, times in, in, a lot of time in airports and in airplanes and in hotels and restaurants and venues. That's about all you do when you get to travel and work like that. You see the inside of a lot of places. And we talked a lot and he listened to me a lot. And there, there, there are times and I still call him. Most of the time I call him, I got a problem. And yet he listens to me. But he told me, Josh, he said, I see God's calling on your life. I believe that this is what God is going to do in you and through you. And I just want to be a part of that. I just want to, I want to help you. I want to invest in you. And so he'd listen to me rant. He'd listen to all my opinions that I thought were wonderful in my, in my early 20s, right? And he would say, well, you know, that's not bad. I mean, that's just dumb. Or, you know, why in the world did you do that? Or, hey, I saw when you did that, and that was great. Keep, keep moving that direction. He's just a wonderful man. Pastor Ed Sherrill that pastored here for 32 years. He pastored longer than I've been alive. Right? I don't mean that negatively, but... He took me when I, was, when I was 27 years old and began to talk about being a pastor. And he began to invest in me and he began to spend time with me. And he began to give me opportunity to do things that was above my ability at the time. But he would correct me and mold me and shape me. And we still have a relationship today. He invested in me. I believe he left a legacy in me and in this church. He invested his time in me. We build God's kingdom when we invest in people. And when you invest time in people, what you're saying is that God, your purposes are greater than my purposes. And here's what I know. You won't have to worry about all the things that you want to accomplish if you invest in other people. Because God always intended that this would be a team thing, right? God always intended that we would do life together. Now there's different positions and all that, but we do it together, investing time. Take inventory today and the rest of the week about where you're putting your time. I'm not asking you to invest 100% of your time in somebody. I'm asking you to invest a portion of your time and think about what that looks like. One of the greatest excuses we have is I'm just too busy. But that's no one's fault but your own. And I'm not trying to be rude. I've had to learn in the past few months to take responsibility for my time. Otherwise, other people are going to take responsibility for it. Otherwise, other people and other things are going to dictate where my time goes and what it does. I have to take responsibility. I have to take ownership. And I have to take control of my time. Because it's the most limited resource I have. It's the only finite resource that I have. 
When you start to really think about that and you find within yourself a willingness to invest your time in someone, not everyone, but in someone, then you get to the third mark of a generous life, which is you find within yourself this willingness to use the abilities and resources that you have in your hand, that you have on tap, so to speak. You know, generosity does not have its genesis or its origin in someday or in when I have or if I had or if I could or maybe I should. Generosity has its origin when you look at your hand and you ask yourself the question, what do I have and what can I do? You see, the Samaritan man, when he stopped to help this Jewish man, he used what he had. What did he have? He had oil, he had wine, he had a donkey, and he had money. And he used it. He cleaned the wounds with the wine. He soothed the wounds with the oil. He picked the man up and put him on his donkey. It's the equivalent to putting him on his car. And then he took him to an end, which was probably the opposite way of his destination. And he didn't just take him to the inn and dump him off. He went in, made sure he had a place to stay, and he told the innkeeper, here's two denarii, which was enough, more than enough. And he said, when I return, don't you love that? He didn't just say, here's this dude, here's some money, fix it. He said, here's this man, here's some money, and when I return, I will reimburse you for anything extra. He used what was in his hand. He was a man that lived life like my grandmother, that lived life with an open hand. I want you guys to hold out your hands. Hold out your hands like this. Everybody do it. When your hands are in this position, two things can happen pretty simply. You can receive and you can give with an open hand. Everybody close your fists. When your fists are clenched, you can't receive anything and you can't give anything. Question is, how are you living your life? You can put them down. Are you living life with your hands open or your fists closed? Maybe if you're me, you got one hand open and one fist closed. Feels a little bit better. (laughs) How are you living life? Because God would tell us in His Word, He said, just as you have freely received, now I want you to freely give. You know the secret to that is living life with open hands. You can freely receive from Him. And then you can freely give. Here's the number one limiting factor to living a generous life and to freely giving and freely receiving. It's all about how you view Him. It's all about how you view that eternal question of salvation. Do you think He wants you to earn it? you think you have to maintain it? you think He's looking at you to qualify for it? Because if, if that's the case, if we're earning from Him and we're qualifying for Him and we're being good enough from Him, we're not free to receive Him. You can't freely re- receive something that you earn. You receive a gift. You earn a paycheck. How many of your companies just give you free money? Nope. God is a giver. He gave his son. It's a gift. And when you freely receive the gift of salvation, and you realize, hey, this ain't got nothing to do with me. I didn't bring anything to God that said, I'm going to save that one. He, he loved us from the foundation of the earth. His purpose, his people, he gave his son so that we could be in relationship with him and the moment that you begin to freely receive that and you continue to freely receive that for the rest of your life here's what happens to your hands they start to slowly open up and then you can freely give you ever found it easier to give other people's money than your own really I think it's so much easier but here's the thing it's all his anyway 
The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. He owns it all. He's given it to us to be steward of. Maybe think about your money and your time and your, your abilities and your resources, not as your own, but his, that he gave you. And it'll be easier to freely give it. It'll be easier to part ways with it. It'll be easier to relax your hands and let them be open. Some of you may be in here this morning and say, I, I, I don't really even know what my gift is. Like, I know I've got some money, I know I've got some time, but I don't know what I'm good at. That's okay. They estimate 87% of people sitting in a church today and much less in life have no idea why they exist. I would encourage you to step in and go to Growth Track. You can do that. It's designed to help you connect with God and connect with your purpose and then to help connect you in a place where you can serve and begin to experience fulfillment, find meaning and purpose in your life because I believe the key to life is not found in getting, it's found in giving. Because the key to life and God's purpose is for us to be like Him And the more we become like him, the more we find that enablement and empowerment to be a giver, to be generous, to open our hands. Peter would tell us, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. He would say this, each one of you, should you or us, should use the gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. I love that. God's given us a gift for the sole purpose of that gift is to administer God's grace. What is that? To connect people with Jesus. Connect people with the Savior of the world. Connect people with the the greatest gift they could ever receive. Whatever your gift is, in whatever capacity you use it, in whatever location, it doesn't have to be in this church, the gift is on your life to administer God's grace, to connect people with Him. And you know the greatest way to have influence in somebody's life is to spend time with them. And the greatest way they'll let you spend time with them is when they sense a love in you that looks beyond itself. And it opens them up to hear what you have to say. To hear about who you are. Those are the three marks of a generous life when you have a love that looks beyond yourself, looks beyond your situations, looks beyond your limiting factors. When it's a willingness to invest time in other people and there's a willingness to use the gifts and resources in your hand. And when you start today, You need to do away with the if then, if only, someday I will, possibly I could. Get rid of all of those because those are all excuses and those have nothing to do with the present and God is here now. And just say, God, what is it that I possess right now that you could have me be generous with? What is it that you have put in my hand that I can help somebody else with? It doesn't matter how small it is, it doesn't matter how big it is. It's just simply starting today. Because whatever you start with, God will grow. Because God gives you everything as a seed. The Bible says that if we, we sow sparingly, then we'll reap sparingly. But when we sow, when we put it in the ground, God's the one that brings the increase. We understand that on a physical level with, with crops, right? You put a seed in the ground, do what you need to do. God sends the rain, the rain comes down, the crop comes up. It's the same with generosity. It's the same with the seeds that you sow in people's lives. Whether it's your time, whether it's your ability, or whether it's your mind, you put it in the ground, you do what God called you to do, and then he takes responsibility for the results. That's what I like. I'm, I'm thankful that God is in, he's in the results category, right? That's his, that's his category. That's his responsibility. I don't take responsibility for the results. I'm just responsible to be obedient. That would just lift a whole weight of pressure off your life right there. God, you told me to do it. 
you're going to take care of the rest. I'm just going to do it. That's an easier way to live. Not saying that it's easy. It's just easier. When you do that, I just want to close this morning with, with some benefits of a generous life. When you start to live life. And we don't live life for the benefits. These are results of, right? Not in it for the benefits. We give because we give. But when you live life in a gener- from a generous posture and a, and a generous foundation, the first thing that you'll experience in your life is you'll really begin to experience the favor of God in your life. I believe the moment you come into relationship with Christ that the favor of God is on your life. I believe that you operate in that favor when you're generous. When you start to live life from the perspective of being a giver versus a, a hoarder or versus with your fist closed. The Bible tells us in Psalms, chapter 112, verse 5, Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely and who conduct their affairs with justice. What's that mean? When you do good to other people, and you do it from a, a heavenly perspective, from a God-informed perspective, there will be good that will come about that. You will receive. Re- sowing and reaping, that's a universal, eternal pr- principle. You do good unto others, it's going to come back to you. I mean, you're never going to have problems? No. But it is reciprocal. There is, as we talked about last week, there is a blessing on it when you do it. I don't know about you, but I'd rather live with the favor of God than without it. And knowing He already gave it to me, I just get the chance to extend that favor of God to other people. Number two is this. This is my my favorite benefit. Is there is real prosperity. You experience real prosperity in your life when you live generously. Now what's real prosperity? Real prosperity isn't having a million dollars. There's been a lot of talk about prosperity in church for a lot of years. Some, you know, and, it's, and it can get kind of crazy. Like if you get $58, you'll get 58 blessings, that kind of stuff. I don't know about all that. I don't really read that. To me, real prosperity has nothing to do with my bank account. and has everything to do with my soul. The Bible says that I, I wish that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul would prosper. Prosperity has nothing to do with stuff. But if we're not careful, we will look at stuff as a measure or a mark of prosperity. I've got the house, I've got the car, I've got the boat, I've got this, I've got that. But yet inside, you're like, I don't have enough. Or I got all these payments. Or like, I don't even enjoy it, right? I got a boat, but I don't like my boat. I don't enjoy my boat because it costs so much money. Is anything wrong with stuff? Nope. Stuff is stuff. I think stuff is neither inherently good or inherently evil. It just is. But if it's your sense or your measurement of prosperity, then you don't have your eyes and your life in the right direction. Soul prosperity is when you can look at your life as it is now and find within yourself a sense of peace, a sense of of understanding that you are right where God wants you to be and that He loves you and that He saved you and you're prospering from the inside out. That's how God's prosperity works, inside out, not outside in. Right? A lot of times we're looking like, God, prosper me, so pay this bill. God, prosper me, so get me this. God, prosper me. And we're tying God's prosperity to things when God says, I want you to really recognize what I did for your soul in Jesus. I saved you eternally. I'm setting you free from all that was binding you up and and holding you down. I'm setting you free. I'm helping you to discover why I created you and positioning you to make a difference. And when you prosper this way versus this way, 
Life is so much better. Because you can have stuff, and it's just stuff, and you can enjoy it. I like stuff, and I want to enjoy my stuff. But I don't want to ever want my stuff to take the place of what the real prosperity that God has given me in my soul. Real prosperity has this thing about it where you can be in the hardest, most gut-wrenching situation of your life, losing a loved one, losing a child, losing all that you've worked for, and you don't understand it, you can't emotionally process it, you don't like it, there's nothing about it that is anything that feels good, but yet you say these words, but God, you're faithful and you're good. That's real prosperity. Like, you don't have to understand it. You don't have to be able to articulate it. You would just, it's like something else is on the inside of you coming up and saying, God, I've lost it all, but at the end of the day, you're good because my eternity is solidified and sealed in you. And when you're generous, that's the gift you're giving to other people. And you're leaving a legacy for them. You're having a legacy of impact for them. The Bible says this in Proverbs, that a generous man or a man who refreshes others, will he himself also be refreshed? How many of you could use some refreshing here this morning? He said, I could, I could stand to be refreshed. I could stand to feel... I want to let you know that God may not answer that prayer request at the altar. He may answer that prayer request when you give something to somebody. When you refresh them in some capacity. Not just with your money. When you spend time with them. When you write them a note. When you just say, hey, I appreciate you. When you refresh others, you yourself will also be refreshed. I don't have any problem with praying for people. It's just at some point we have to realize that the answer to everything is not agreeing with someone in prayer. Sometimes it's just doing what God said. And when we do what he said, we're obedient and we, we actualize or experience all that is in that. And with that legacy, you leave a legacy, not just for yourself, but for the person that you're encountering. You're leaving a legacy for your children. You're having an impact because here's the reality. You're going to leave a legacy in life and it's either going to be by default or it's going to be intentional. Your life is, is going to have a legacy. Do you want it to be, eh, just happen, or do you want to be intentional about it? You want to take ownership of it. You want to say, I want my legacy to be this. I want to be known as this. I want to... This I want. I just want to leave a legacy, and I want it to have impact because a default legacy still has impact. But what kind of impact do you want to have? I want my children. I only have one right now. If I have more, I want them to love the church and love God in the same way that I do. And I want them to know that the time that I invest here, that they're they're more important than the church, so to speak, but that they grow up with a healthy understanding of what it is to serve God and to serve God's people, and that they, they love the church and they want to be a part of it and they want to experience all that God has for them. I want them to have that and experience that legacy. I want us to build a church where we realize that, you know what, someday we're going we're gonna to pass away from here, but this church can continue, right? Like 50 years from now, this church can still be here, and hopefully it's much bigger and better than it is today and reaching more people than we're reaching right now because we're not living life from a perspective about what I need, what I want, and how I want it, but how does this go forward? How does my life have meaning and value even after I'm gone from it? Because then you can have impact with honor, where someone can look at your life and people can look at your life and, 
and say that not only was there impact, but there's honor there. And when you, and from the, the scripture that's on your notes, when you honor God and honor the things of God, there's an honor that he brings to your life as well. Honor that. Honor that space. And generosity is a part of honoring who he is. Because the closer you get to him, the more you become like him, the more generous you become. It's impossible not to. And here's the last one. The last one is this. It's a bonus, but whenever you live a generous life, you are storing up for yourself a treasure in heaven. As Paul would write Timothy. You're living life from an eternal perspective. And what is, what is the only thing that's eternal on this earth? People. This building, it's not going with us. The stuff we have, not going with us. But people are eternal. And the Bible says we can store up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And I believe that that's found in us. And by following God's purpose for our life, doing those things that he's called us to do, and loving what he loves, and he loves people, and being willing to invest time, and willing to invest the abilities and the resources that we have in the things and people that he's called us to reach. You can store up for yourselves treasures for eternity. I don't think there's anything wrong with building retirement and having all of that, but we have to be more eternally focused than we are focused on the world that is just right in front of us. Because here's the reality. Our generosity is a reflection to the world of God's generosity. The degree to which we are generous is a reflection or an indicator to someone who does not know him how generous he is. I also say it like this. The degree to which we are generous is also a reflection of how we feel God is generous. And if we don't feel God is very generous, and if we don't feel as if he, he loves us and He freely gives, then we won't do that at all. It all comes back to how you view Him. Has He, in your life, do you feel as if He's freely given? Do you feel as if He, he really loves you, that He really is who He says He is, that He really is fundamentally, at His core, a good, good Father? Yes, bad things happen. Yes, we go through hard times. Yes, we don't always have everything that we want, but He is a good Father, and He has freely given. And if you struggle to receive salvation, you will struggle to give whatever it is that He's calling you and asking you to give. It all comes back to that. How do I know that? Because that's been the story of my life. The moment that I became or started to become more generous was the moment that I started to realize how much his, this gift of salvation, this gift of grace was truly a gift. I wasn't treating the gift as a gift. I was treating it as, a, as something that I was earning and qualifying for and constantly competing for. And the moment that I realized he gave it to me because he loves me. And that he, that's why he gave his son Jesus was the moment that I began to be able to part ways with some of my stuff. It's the moment that my hands went from this posture to this posture. And I would say, really, they're still unfolding for me. I'm becoming generous. I'm learning what it is to live the generous life. And if truth really be told, I'm probably still more like this. One fist closed, one hand open. But at least I've begun the process. I'll ask this question again. 
Where are your hands? What are the posture of your hands? Are they closed? Are they open? Are they halfway open? Where, where are they? Are the marks of a generous life at play for you? And how does God's generosity reflected in your own? Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for every person that's here. I thank you that, that you've given us the opportunity, Lord, to come and just to, to learn about you and to experience you and to know that the closer we get to you, Father, the more generous we really, really, really become. I'd like to ask this question. Is there anybody here that would say, you know what? I have yet to receive the full generosity of God in salvation. I know my life isn't where it should be. I know I'm not living how I should be, but I want a fundamental change today. I want to, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to receive that free gift of salvation. If that's you, could you just raise your hand? Just put your hand up. I'd love to, the opportunity to pray with you this morning. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the individual that raised their hand. And I would ask you, Lord, right now, as they extend their hand in faith, that they would begin to just to realize, Lord, that you are their Savior, that they love you, that you love them. God, that you will create within them a new heart, and a new, a new life, and a new spirit, Lord, that their life is fundamentally changing. You're becoming their Savior and becoming their Lord. And God, we thank you for everything else that you're doing in the lives of all of us this morning. And we pray that you would bless our week and bless uh, whatever it is that we put our hand to and help us, God, to live life with an open hand. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.